Welcome to this final installation of the Acts of the Apostles, our summer read. I almost got it done by the end of summer. Today is the first day of school here in Mon County, so um, maybe I'm a little bit behind a procrastinator, I don't know. Um, but having my homework in a day late would be nothing new for me. But here we go. Um, just as an aside, first, thank you if you've had the chance and opportunity and, and taken that opportunity to join me in listening to the Acts of the Apostles. And um, as you've probably noticed, Boy, the Greek names just, they kick my butt in this. And I, I know how hard they are. Um, and it, sometimes I think that can be a barrier for us. You know, when we get into the get into the scriptures and hear these Greek names of people and places or in the Old Testament when we run into the Hebrew um, that isn't brought about as some sort of translation, but is just laid there phonetically for us. You know, do your best. Um, do your best. Uh, not everyone's had Greek and not everyone's had Hebrew. And even myself, who has had those two languages, still struggles when I when I read through. Um, but don't let that ever stand in the way of engaging with, with God's word. So before we begin uh, our final reading here from Acts, let us pray. Lord God, you open up your hand to satisfy the need of every living thing, both the needs that we have in our bodies and the needs that we have in our soul. We give you thanks for your word, that it is food and life giving to us in spirit and in soul. We thank you for it. And we ask that you continually bless us by the revelation that comes to us through these holy scriptures. Amen. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began to defend himself. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, because you are especially familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg of you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, a life spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that I have belonged to the strictest sect of our religion and lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial on account of my hope in the promise made by God to our ancestors, a promise that our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. It is for this hope, Your Excellency, that I am accused by Jews. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that it was what I did in Jerusalem. With the authority received from the chief priests, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being condemned to death. By punishing them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and since I was furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. With this in mind, I was traveling to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests when at midday along the road, Your Excellency, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and all my companions. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? The Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, 
to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue from your people and from the Gentiles you, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. After that, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the countryside of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had help from God, and so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. While he was making this defense, Festus exclaimed, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but all those who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king got up, and with the governor and Bernice and those who had been seated with him, and they were leaving, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor. When it was decided that we were to set sail for Italy, they transferred Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan court named Julius. Embarking on a ship of Adramitium that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonia from Thessalonica. The next day, we put up at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. After we had sailed across the sea, that is the cliff of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship bound for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind was against us, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Sailing past it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous, because even the fast and already gone by, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with danger and with much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid no more attention, paid more attention to the pilot 
and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favor of putting to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, where they could spend the winter. It was a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest. When a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought they could achieve their purpose. So they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete, close to the shore. But soon a violent wind, called the Northeaster, rushed down from Crete. Since the ship was caught and could not be turned head-on into the wind, we gave way to it and, it and were driven. By running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were scarcely able to get to the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run on the Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and were so driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently. On the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest rage, all hope of being saved was all at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of God, to whom I belong and worship, and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor, and indeed God has granted safety to those, all of those who are sailing with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we will have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were drifting across the sea of Adria, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took soundings again and found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes and the boat. It was set adrift. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. In the morning, they did not reorganize the recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied to the steering oars. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground, and the bow struck and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. 
But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land, and the rest to follow, some on the planks and others on the pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to leave. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after they had witnessed a long time and saw that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading men of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with a fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. Three months later, we set sail on a ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin brothers as its figurehead. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. Then we weighed anchor and came to Regium. After one day there, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putioli. There we found believers who were invited to stay with, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. The believers from there, when they heard of us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Three days later, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, yet I was arrested in Jerusalem and was handed over to the Romans. When they had examined me, the Romans wanted to release me because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to the emperor, even though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is for the sake of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from what you think. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. After they had set a day to meet with him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, while others refused to believe. So they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, 
You will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the end of the Acts of the Apostles, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.